Good morning, everyone. <laughs> Phil is not there, by the way, to critique my sermon. Uh, so, just thought I'd point that out. I'm glad that the Lord doesn't worry about technology. He can hear us. He's wireless, and that's really good. We don't need connections, and we certainly don't need a screen. So, that part of it is really, really good. You know, yeah. <laughs> maybe we do need technology. Just before we get started, I, I've been spending a little time uh, on a sermon that David Hook gave a few weeks back. And uh, there was Dave and his reliable sump pump in the basement. And uh, we laughed about that and about many of the things that went on, uh, 30 years of successfully operating and maybe more, who knows. But uh, I couldn't help but think of another thing David uh, mentioned, and that was the crocuses uh, that were appearing on the side of his house in the snow. And it got me thinking, you know, how do those flowers get pollinated? Because we think of uh, being pollinated by insects. And I reflected on many verses in the Bible that says that with God all things are possible. And so I couldn't help over the last two weeks just picturing these busy little bumblebees with their fur mitts and their long johns on trying to pollinate these crocuses. Um, Just the way it is, you know. And another thing that made me wonder is how do they get through those petals with those little snowshoes? You know, it just makes no sense. Anyway, I appreciate that you're here this morning. And uh, if you were with us this morning when we did our breaking of bread service, uh, I believe that that set the scene for what we're talking about here. What came out of this morning was, where is your heart? Do you follow your inner self or your outer self? Are you here for your flesh or are you here for your soul? And that's what this passage is about a little bit. I want to look at this thing slightly different. I want you to look at this as a total the book of Matthew as a total, not as a parable of Matthew 20, of Matthew 20, pardon me, 25 that we're reading right now. That's important. We've studied 30 some odd parables already, but it's the whole picture because it's a progression of a story as we go along. And so these two verses that are the end of my passage are verses that sort of summarize where we're coming from. And it says, for to everyone who has more will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So on the surface, it looks like it's a story all about money. And I think that there's so much more there to be seen. And before we get into that, I want to read a little story, if I can find it here. You may have saw this in the news this week. The Peter Gilgan Foundation. Have any of you ever heard of that? This foundation, which is named after Peter Gilgan, obviously, just donated a second amount to the Toronto Sick Children's Hospital of $100 million. He had previously donated $40 million through this foundation. Okay? Great cause, a great hospital. It's for the children. That's what Jesus talks about. Looking after the little ones. Looking after those who are sick. Those who are in need of healing. But there's something about this message that's missing. 
It doesn't focus on Jesus. It doesn't focus on Christ. This money is money that man has created for himself. Okay, this money, although it's a worthy cause, it's a cause that doesn't further Christ's kingdom. And we have to realize that everything that we have comes from Christ. Oh, we're back to that. Everything that we have comes from Christ. And so I want to reflect on that as we go through this. Keep that gentleman in mind, Peter Gilgan. And he certainly has been generous, and uh, there's nothing wrong with giving that kind of money if you've got it. But I suggest to you that he probably gave it for a number of other reasons. Uh, One probably being a tax write-off. If he's a billionaire, that's probably what his taxes are. So all he's doing is writing it off as an expense against us other taxpayers. But I want you to reflect on the story in Matthew. Go from the beginning right through to the end. It's the story of Jesus coming into this world. Jesus confirming what went on in the Old Testament. He's going to validate. He's going to fulfill some prophecies. And he's going to take us to the end where the temple, which was a building, was a permanent structure located in one spot, becomes a living temple for all of us to enter. We can come to that temple at any time. Up until this time, we have not been able to do that. Only the highest of the highest can enter into that temple. And so there is a progression here. We want to see that as we go along. Go to the next slide. At the end of chapter 4, I'm going to start there. He had just resisted Satan in the wilderness and now he begins his ministry by confirming that he is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. It says in Isaiah 9, 1 and 2 and also in Matthew, And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulon and Naphtali. And it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in the darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who have sat in the region and the shadow of death, light has dawned. That light is Jesus Christ. It clearly illustrates the situation of all mankind. We all sat in the darkness. The darkness of sin. The darkness of rejection of God. But the light has dawned. Jesus has come. This is the beginning of his ministry. Jesus is that light. He records two other things in that chapter, verses 17 to 19. It says, From that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. He said said to them then, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. These are two very prophetic verses and they follow right through the whole book of Matthew. His ministry, Jesus' ministry I'm speaking upon, uh, is based on our sin nature and asking for forgiveness from Him. Becoming a new person where Jesus is going to live in us. Not outside in a temple, not in a book, but in us through the Holy Spirit. We're challenged to take up our cross and follow Him. He does that in every passage. Just about every uh, parable that we've talked about. It is a challenge to respect him, to come to him, to follow him. To spread the good news so that others may also 
know the joy that you have in Christ Jesus, the joy that's available to them. To that end, he wants all to understand what's at stake and how they can change their lot in life from one despair, one of despair, pardon me, to one of abundant joy. Now, the area that we're talking about here, of course, is the Mount of Olives, and we've heard uh, that whole Beatitude session uh, in chapter 5, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, okay? This is an area that's sort of unique. It's, although it's mainly Jewish, it's located near enough to other nations that there is a military outpost there, and that presence is necessary. In Mark 2.14, Matthew 8.5-13, also it was in a relatively prosperous area uh, from a standpoint of uh, growing things. Uh, there is a very productive well there, reliable springs that uh, spew water all year round. Also, the Jordan River is there, and so it's important. All these points to a Semitic presence where Aramaic and Hebrew dialects are prominent but not exclusive. It's a mishmash. It's an area where everybody is there. Not just Jews, but all others. So as Matthew progresses in his description of the travels of Jesus, we see the consistent nature of the message, a message that becomes clouded for those who don't know him. He's also being challenged and has to change to speaking in parables. The Romans are after him. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, they're not happy with him because they're changing. Uh, he's changing their way of dealing with the law. He is a challenge to them, just like John the Baptist was a challenge to them. They don't like it, and so they resist him. And the Gentiles, of course, they simply don't know what he's all about. Some of them don't care, and some of them are just curiosity seekers. The resentment obviously turns to actual death threats on him in his preaching. To those who truly knew him, the parables would provide some clarity as to their situation and their purpose and direction in this world. And that's what it's all about. So as you proceed through the many chapters leading up to our passage, you'll note that there are two distinct audiences. There are the crowds, which involve all of these people I talked about, and there are also his followers or his disciples. And these are people he has chosen. And you need to put yourself into that list because you also are disciples today in the same way that these individuals were disciples way back then. So when you say, is it relevant to me? You betcha it's relevant to you because it was relevant to them. It was relevant to Jesus, so it became relevant to them. And that's what this parable is about. Okay, so then Jesus went out of the went out of the temple and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him, showing him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, all, now he said this as he sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciple came to him privately, to, saying to him, Tell us when these things will be and what the sign of your coming will be at the end of the age. They haven't yet realized that the temple is going to be torn down, that they are in the presence of the living temple. They haven't figured that out yet. But realize, too, that this is a private conversation. The disciples approached him privately. He is speaking to people who theoretically understand where he's going and where he's come from and what he's there for. But he still speaks in parables, which to me is a little bit strange. But maybe that's a way of weeding out those who truly believe him and those who just say they believe him. 
And that's what it's all about here. Further on in verses 13 and 14 of uh, chapter 24, he states, But he who endures to the end shall be saved, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. This is the prayer of Jesus for his disciples. This is the prayer for all of us today, that we will endure to the end and that we will preach the gospel to all who are willing to hear it. We need to take it to all corners of the world. We heard about it this morning. We heard about it in our persecuted church, about India and Thomas working his wonders in India. And we need to follow on that. So as we go to the next uh, area, we're going to talk about the parable itself a little bit, okay, and the passage. And it begins with a statement that says, the kingdom of heaven is like. Remember the beginning, Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's been telling them what the kingdom of heaven is like through 36 or 38 parables and other stories, through his healings, through his testimony, through his witnessing of the God above. All of these things are indications that the kingdom of heaven is near and that the kingdom of heaven is like. And he's trying to show them the difference between this world, pardon me, and that world. Okay? So this story that we talk about is a story that to Gentiles who don't know him, they would see it as a master who has a bunch of servants. The master has a lot of goods. He gives these goods to his servants so that he may make a trip. He goes away. He doesn't tell them how long he's gone for and he doesn't tell them when he's coming back. But he gives them these goods based on their abilities. To some he gives five talents. To another he gives two, and to another he gives one. So these servants, two of them receive, well done, good and faithful servant. The other one receives banishment and weeping and gnashing of teeth. He becomes part of the outer circle. He's not part of the master's plan anymore. He's not welcomed. That's the way the Gentiles would see it. Now, money has been made by some. Money has just been hidden by another. It seems clear that that's what the story is about. But in verses 14 to 16, Jesus speaks of how the parable reflects what it is like in heaven. God is the Father. God is the Master of all mankind. He is the Master of all. So we are His servants. Now, he talks about servants, slaves, becoming his children. But no matter how you look at it, God is in charge. There is no way you can get around that. He is the master. He gives us our abilities according, or he gives us our talents, pardon me, according to our abilities. So that's why you see some people up here performing music. You see some people who are speaking. You see some people who are rich. You see others who don't have quite so much. Okay, He gave it to people for a certain reason. There are people who do things that you're not even aware of, who sweep this place and clean it, who wash the windows, who do the dishes, for which they get no thanks. But they were given these duties by God. Don't get that wrong. And that duty and the performance of that duty 
shows a respect for the God above. And so God respects that individual as much as he respects the individual who sings at the front or speaks at the front or puts a lot of money in the offering box. Now, the master is going to return. And that's Jesus. Jesus went away. He didn't tell them how long he was going to go. He tells them that he was going away. We assume that he went to heaven, that he rose again, and that's where he went. He didn't go to uh, the Bahamas or, uh, uh, you know, Club 101 or whatever it happens to be. He went to heaven. But he's coming back. He's told us that. He's going to return. And when he does return... All are going to have to give an accounting of what they did with what he had. You know, we talk about the book of Matthew as the book about the servant king. And maybe this is why right here. Jesus is a walking, talking image of a servant doing the will of the master. Go through the book of Matthew. And every time he comes to the Father... He talks about doing His will for the Father's purposes, for the Father's will. Whatever you want, Father, I will do. It's not about Jesus. Jesus is not trying to make a collection of uh, fancy buildings in Jerusalem. He's not trying to uh, dress up well. He's not trying to drive fancy cars. He's trying to do everything for the honor and the glory of the Father above. And as such, disciples of Jesus should be doing the same. That applies to those disciples he was speaking to privately on the mountain, and it applies to you. And so as prophesied, Jesus left earth for a faraway country. He will return, as verse 19 says, and we're all going to have to give an accounting. So here we are at the accounting stage, and the first two make money with their talents. But I believe that it goes farther than that when it comes to this story and the parable of Jesus. Okay? We're giving we're given goods, we're given services, we're given abilities to perform. But whether you have a hundred dollars in your bank account or a million dollars in your bank account, whether you drive a Ferrari or whether you drive a beat up Volkswagen, it doesn't matter. It's what do you do with the gifts that he gave you? And it doesn't matter whether you can turn two beat-up Volkswagens into one beat-up Volkswagen and a really good Ferrari, or you can take a million dollars and make it into a hundred million dollars, that's not the point. The point is the effort and the focus of your effort. And that's what Jesus wants the disciples to understand. Those who are faithful and eager provide honor and glory to God, and they will receive even more along with the gratitude of God himself. It says in verses 20 to 23, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Enter into His happiness. Celebrate with God. That's what it's about. Be able to do that. And they're accepted in, not because five talents became ten talents, or two talents became four talents. It's because of the effort and the reason the effort was made. The effort was made to honor the Master. To glorify the Master. So that when the Master came back, there would be more for Him to reap. There would be more for Him to be joyful with. 
For those who simply chose to take what was given and squander it, the related disrespect dishonors God. And it's going to result in everything that those individuals have being taken away. An eternal banishment from the presence of God. The kingdom of heaven is going to be unlike anything those people have ever imagined because they're not going to be there. They're going somewhere else. They're banished. Whether afraid, complacent, or rebellious, judgment is going to be passed on those people. And so even us as disciples, we have to question ourselves. Inside, are we truly faithful to God? Are we truly honoring God? Or are we just talking about it? Do we come to church Sunday and we put up a good facade and then the other six days of the week we go and do what we want to do? So we've taken those talents that He's given us and we've done nothing with them. We've buried them. Our neighbors don't even know you have talents. How can you increase the talents if you don't work for the Lord? He says in Matthew 7, 21, 26, and 27, and keep in mind, I'm going back and forth in Matthew, but this is all part of a bigger story that comes to the culmination of Jesus asking the disciples, where do you stand? He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine who does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain came and the winds blew and beat that house and it fell. And great was the fall. This is indeed relevant to both his disciples of the day and to us as well. Here's a, here's a little crossword puzzle with three words. And they reflect what we're talking about today. If you want the reward that is out there for you, you have to put in the time and the effort. Okay? It's not something you can spend 20 minutes on today and then forget about until next Sunday. Because you don't know when he's coming back. That's when you're going to be judged. So if he comes back right now and you'd planned this afternoon to do something really good for God, it's too late. You have to be doing this all the time. You have to take advantage, not only of the talents, not only of the money, of the resources that He gave you, but you have to take advantage of the time that He gave you. Because we don't know how long we're going to be here. Next one, next one, go. Here's a verse out of Colossians that says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now this is Paul, who was not even there on the mount. Okay, This is Paul who had a run-in with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. This is Paul who was an individual known probably as the worst of the worst when it came to persecuting Christians. When it came to annihilating those who followed Jesus Christ, he is the worst of the worst. And look at what he says here to the people in Colossians. In, in Colossae, I should say. You don't work for humans. You work for the Lord. This morning, David read out of Revelations a verse that talks about 
John being on the island of Patmos by the Word of God. In other words, God put him there. But that verse also goes on to say, for the testimony of Jesus Christ. John got the message. Paul got the message. We also need to get the message. So, when we look at this, there's a few little items that I want to bring up as we summarize what we've been talking about. It's expected that we will do what our Master commands. And so even more than the servants, we are ambassadors for Christ. So if you are a son, do you not do what your father asks you to do? And are you not happy to do that, hoping that he will say, well done, son. I really appreciate what you did for me. You really expanded what we were trying to do. You're part of the family. I'm so happy that you're with me for eternity. Or life, in case of earthly man. If it's your boss, aren't you trying to please him? Maybe you've got an ulterior motive. Maybe you want a promotion. Maybe you just want to be on his good side because he's a harsh man, like the harsh man that's in this parable. But you do it with compassion. You do it with love because that's what Jesus did. And you turn the page. You do things that others can't do. Because we are ambassadors for Christ, we need to be working and operating in His image. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. There's no one else to be reconciled to. Why would you waste your time? We don't have the power to overpower anybody. We don't have the power to influence. We don't have the power to provide, even for our own families, without what God provides us. You are commanded to use your talents and abilities to grow the honor and the glory of God by spreading the good news. This isn't based on how much we're given, but how we use what we're given. Jesus wants us to obey. He wants us to bear fruit. He desires abundance and joy for us. John 17:13 says, Jesus speaking to his father says, "But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves." The only way you're going to have that joy is if you're in heaven in the presence of God. And the only way you're going to do that is to follow Christ, to take up your cross and follow Christ. You can't word, mouth the words, pardon me. You can't go through the actions in imitation, faking it. You have to be genuine. Because when you do come to judgment, He's not going to judge you in the flesh. He's going to judge you in the soul. He's going to ask you questions that only people on the inside can see the answers to. Now it's also expected that we're going to use our time to further our talents and abilities. Procrastination is not an option. For we don't know the time when we're going to be judged. Matthew 24:44 says, Therefore you also may be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Those of you who are not ready, who are not vigilant, will experience outer darkness, will experience that banishment that he talks about at the end of this parable. 
you certainly will be weeping and gnashing your teeth. And I don't think that's what we want. Now, because you call yourself a servant, a follower of Jesus, a disciple, you're going to be judged on your relationship with Jesus. Words alone, as I said, are not enough. Your actions and acts towards others are the standard by which you will be measured. So when we think of Peter Gilgan and giving the hundred million dollars, first of all, we don't know whether he even knows Christ. But on the assumption that he does, were the reasons for giving the money to further the cause, the honor and the glory of the Lord? Or was it as a tax write-off? Was it because he got his picture on the front of the newspaper? Was it to begin to or to continue to be the chairman of this foundation? Did it increase his riches here on earth? Because if it did, he's already received his reward. There is a much bigger reward for him in heaven. And these are the things that you have to ask yourself. Just what is it that you want? Because if it's a rich bank account, a fancy car, a big house, holidays in the Caribbean, you don't need the Lord. But if you want eternity, joyful eternity, with Jesus the Son and God the Father, then you need to follow Christ. You need to follow Him. You need to take up your cross. Your actions and your acts towards others, whether that's compassion towards a child, compassion towards someone who is sick, compassion towards someone who has nothing, is the standard by which you're going to be measured. Actions or lack thereof simply illustrate the condition of your heart. Think of that. Of your inner self. Remember that God judges the heart. Way back in the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel 16, He says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his physical nature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as a man sees. For man sees the outer appearance, but God looks at the heart. So one more thing. Let's talk about the man that rejected doing anything for the Lord, doing anything for his master. Did he fear the Lord? No. Respect and honor the Lord? No. Psalm 34, 9 and 10 says, O fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger. But for those who seek the Lord shall lack nothing shall lack, not lack any good thing. Pardon me. Everything you need, everything you want, everything you could ever desire comes from God. One more thing before we close. This morning we talked about keeping short accounts with God. We talked about coming to the Lord and telling Him about our disappointments, our failures, as well as our praises for Him as well as the accomplishments that we've done. But we need to come before the Lord with a proper attitude. When you come before the Lord, you have to be honest with Him because He's going to be honest with you. There is no other God. 
There is no other reason to live other than to honor and glorify Him. We have all been born into sin nature and we are all being challenged through this parable to make a choice, to choose a side. And so the riches that these two servants brought to their master in the grand scheme of events reflect you and I, I hope. I hope. But only you know that. So are you one of the two servants who increased the talents that they were given? Or are you more like the one who buried it in a hole and simply gave it back to the Lord at the end of the journey and said, here it is. This is what you gave me. I'm giving it back. Give that consideration. You know, we sang this morning about all of these songs about being a good servant. Worshipping the King. Putting God first. Honoring and glorifying. The light of the world. Was here. He is still here with you. Inside. And He will be coming back. Reflect upon that as you reflect upon this parable. See it as a total story. See it as why Christ came. And how powerful that story is to you. It's not simply a man being nailed to the cross. It's you being nailed to the cross. Something to consider. Something to think about. Phil? Lord, we thank you for giving us life. Eternal life. An opportunity for life with you. You've given us that choice, Lord. Help us to choose the right way. Help us to choose to follow you and help us, Lord, to allow ourselves to be molded and shaped by you. To do the things, Lord, that you want us to do, that you have directed us to do for your honor and your glory. Lord, we can do nothing apart from you. Lord, we have no ability. We have no value, no worth, Lord. And yet you see us as something of infinite value. You seek us out. You love us with a love that we can't understand, with a compassion that is beyond measure. Lord, help us to focus on the things that are worthy of you and you alone. Let us be that light. Let us take the gospel to the world. Let us take the opportunities that you put before us. Let us not procrastinate. Let us not hide these things in the dark, Lord, but let it shine to all the world. Let us grow in the image of your Son, Lord, and let us always be focused on you. For your honor and your glory, in your Son's precious name we pray. Amen.